0: Welcome to The Plastic First Mile, a podcast series by Sustainable Asia. My name is Marcy Trent Long. In Season 9, we're looking at the problem of ocean plastic here in Asia. In many Asian countries, a garbage truck doesn't magically show up on your street to collect your rubbish every day. So establishing plastic recycling in some countries also means starting with household collection and a community's desire to no longer see trash on their beaches, in their rivers, and floating near their shores. So in this and the next episode, we move to the archipelago of Indonesia, where plastic recycling needs to start at the grassroots. In contrast to our earlier episodes about Taiwan and Hong Kong, where an established waste collection system is already in place, to develop the Plastic First Mile in Indonesia, we have to start with the basics of sorting household trash and getting it to a waste collection facility before we can even consider the recycling part. How is that going to work? Well, let's begin with the beautiful tourism island of Bali. Described as the land of the gods by some and a surfer's paradise by others, in recent years Bali's reputation has shifted. Bali, island of garbage.
1: Wonderful nature, but there is one modern problem about Bali's beaches. Plastic Here
0: in Bali, an estimated 300 tons of waste enter these waters every single day. It's so beautiful, and then it's ruined by plastic.
2: I feel really sad seeing Bali that way.
0: A recent study found that plastic accounts for almost 20% of the waste collected in Bali, and that around 33,000 tons of that plastic waste ends up washing into their seas every year. Undaunted by these statistics, an incubator for new solutions to social issues called McKinsey.org has decided to turn its lens on Bali and start rethinking recycling there. Okay,
3: so I've pressed record. All right. So I'm Shannon Boughton. I'm the Global Executive Director for Sustainable Communities at McKinsey.org. McKinsey.org is an independent nonprofit that was started by McKinsey & Company, the global consulting firm, to tackle some of the world's largest global environmental and social problems. In the middle of the
0: COVID pandemic, we were able to reach out to Shannon to talk about their initiative.
3: Our first question, why Bali? Together we chose Bali in particular in Indonesia because it's on the front line of this problem, the attractiveness of Bali as a tourist destination and its beaches, its ecosystems are suffering directly from the waste pollution And then we also see as a result of that, that the local communities are very aware and also suffering from that pollution.
0: That program that Shannon is describing is a recent initiative by McKinsey.org called Rethinking Recycling.
3: As we traveled around the world, we saw fantastic examples of organizations doing work around, for example, education of households or working on improving the efficiency of sorting centers. And there are lots of different wonderful projects, but we haven't seen anyone put all of that together in one program.
0: A cornerstone of rethinking recycling is to take those global best practices to build community waste and recycling programs
3: that could actually... Be profitable. When we looked at trying to solve this problem with McKinsey.org, we built the Rethinking Recycling program to look at both the supply side and the demand side. So we work first with communities to develop self-sustaining recycling systems. And then we also work with corporate players and industry and governments to reliably absorb all of the recycled material at a fair price.
0: Once Rethinking Recycling could establish a pilot program that worked in Bali, the plan would be to try to replicate it across Bali and potentially throughout Indonesia. So what were the first steps? McKinsey.org started building a team that was passionate about sustainability and could work closely with the local residents.
2: I am an Indonesian from Java, currently living in Bali. I am part of McKinsey.org to support the institutional partnership. And when I heard about the idea, I fell in love with it, and I thought I would love to join this initiative to make a difference.
0: And Dio was joined by another young colleague.
1: So my name is Abita Billy. I jump shipped from McKinsey & Company to McKinsey.org when I was presented with a chance to work on this project because this is a golden opportunity to make a big impact. And I've been really focused on the community side of the work, especially on behavior change in the community.
0: Billy and Dia integrated themselves into the community to develop educational programs needed to instill the practice of waste collecting, sorting, and recycling.
1: There are two driving factors here. One key is creating programs that is sponsored by the community leaders And second of all, is the involving the wider community in co-creating the messaging that would resonate with them. By getting messages that is sponsored by the community leaders, by the, for instance, the village leaders, gets them to feel that this is an official program. Everyone's doing it. They are part of the movement. And second of all, we invited community leaders, housewives, school children, and other community groups within the community that we work in, developing what is the, the messaging that resonates with them the most, that would get them to believe that it's important to recycle.
0: So Billy and Diaz started going from house to house, knocking on doors, in order to understand how their messaging was being used inside the individual
2: households to sort and separate waste. Especially in Bali, our community leaders are the teachers in the community. They're seen as the wise people that they go to for advices. And so working with community leaders have been the key in ensuring that people adopt the habit of sort of separation So one way is, right, in the U.S., if you don't recycle, there's not much peer pressure. Or maybe if there's a peer pressure, it's from your friends. But people here really like uh, having discussions with their leaders. And so not only, uh, not only do we need the support from the government from a logistical point of view, But we actually really value the involvement of the government in our program from the adopting behavior point of view. Because if you don't have government support, not only is it logistically difficult to implement Mm -hmm. the project, but people are not likely to think of this seriously.
0: So they've figured out the communication strategy to get individual buy-in needed to do the sorting work at the household level. And unlike other places we discussed in previous episodes, the government was alongside the Rethinking Recycling Project from day one. So now that the McKinsey.org team was able to get sorted waste from each home, how were they going to get that waste, including PET plastic beverage bottles, to a recycling center? Next, after we take a short break... Did you know that Sustainable Asia is now publishing teaching guides for all of our podcast seasons? And we're starting to write feature articles for other publications about environmental issues here in Asia. Check out our website, SustainableAsia.co, or look up SustainableAsia on Medium.com.
3: Back to Rethinking Recycling in Bali. So when we think about what happens to the water bottle that the person is drinking... It's not that complicated. That person would put the water bottle into a dry recyclables bin, one of three streams that we collect, organics, residue, and dry recyclables. And dry recyclables are things like paper, aluminium, plastic. Our drivers and or independent collectors that work with us then collect the waste, keeping it separated into those three categories. When it arrives at our recycling center, the organics get offloaded into a composting shed, The residue is picked up by the city to be taken to the landfill, and the dry waste is sorted by our workers and then sold into the local community.
0: Sounds pretty straightforward, right? Well, in 2008, Indonesia passed a waste management law that set up temporary waste collection buildings called TPS all around the country. And McKinsey.org's idea was to convert these unused TPS waste structures into the community recycling centers.
4: And what we discovered was that actually our TPS 3R didn't really exist in the eyes of the law. That was Ella Fay, the
0: program manager leading McKinsey.org in Asia. Ella found a small wrinkle in their plan to use the TPS centers.
4: It was a building. It was there. The land was owned by the community. It had been set up by the government. But there was no real legal entity that sat behind it. So when we had some of our sort of strategic partners saying we'd like to invest, there wasn't actually an entity for them to invest in. And what that really means then is that they can't get public sector funding, they can't get private sector funding, they can't employ people on sort of contracted or full-term wages. Ella had worked with
0: McKinsey & Company in other developing countries, so she wasn't going to give up easily on this idea of converting the TPS buildings into their waste centers.
4: So for us, you know, after you know, much patience and a lot of waiting, we've actually been able to transform our center into a local community-owned center, which exists in the eyes of the law. And now we've been able to ensure that there is timely access to capital, you know, meaningful wages, etc. But I think the beauty of the Indonesia space is that now that we've demonstrated that it can be done, actually a lot of other centres are now looking to us and using us as a blueprint for what can be achieved and what these centres can look like in the future. So the McKinsey.org First Waste
0: Collection Center is up and running, and the goal of replicating this pilot program seems to already be taking shape. But the waste hasn't been sent for recycling yet, and that includes our focus in this series, PET plastic bottles.
4: I think PET is a slightly more interesting case because it is a slightly higher value plastic, and therefore it probably normally is worth the transportation costs to get it to the processor's but in Indonesia, you know, more or less all of the processing capacity is in Surabaya, Java. So even from Bali, we have to get all of our waste you know, across Bali, over the ferry into East Java and then to Central Java. And anything that you can do to just save a little bit of money on the costs is the only way that you can actually ensure that this
3: becomes a, a break even business. So we're excited because that center that we're working in has been economically profitable since April, which means that it's like a small business where the workers are receiving fair wages and safe working conditions. So there you
0: have it. The rethinking recycling dream of a pilot community waste and plastic recycling center that's profitable seems to have come true. But it doesn't stop there.
3: This year in 2020, we are looking at working with our existing partners and some new partners to build what we're calling today an academy that will offer hands-on training on how to replicate the work that we've been doing in Sanarkau.
0: And this is where using people with a background in corporate consulting can be leveraged to create social innovation with staying power.
4: We're going to look at what we've learned and say, OK, what does it take to make one of these centers and one of these operational managers successful? And then basically create modules to teach every single one of those pieces. So that's going to be everything from your behavior change campaign with your local community to the operations themselves, you know, to health and safety standards, but also basic accounting skills, how do you manage a
3: P&L, how do you make kind of CapEx projections. And then we'll also be working on the supporting mechanisms for these programs, like building the markets for the materials that these centers are producing, helping them to capture the maximum value in the material to ensure that that material gets back into the circular value chain. So we're exploring things like a digital trading platform and looking at a nonprofit aggregation system or the smaller centers so that they can get the bulk rates for the waste that they're collecting. If you set these centers
4: up correctly, actually, you know, the world's your limit. There's so much more that you could do with these centers delivering meaningful impact along the way. This must be one of the most in-depth
0: and ambitious pilot programs to scale plastic recycling that I have witnessed to date. And the initiative is proving what we're seeing across Asia. Recycling is a community effort that people actually really want to do as long as they're able to work within a system where they trust that their individual efforts to sort and separate will pay off. And as Ella says, who knows? Maybe these community centers in Bali will start doing what Taiwan has done and develop a high-quality PET, plastic recycling industry. In our next episode, we continue looking at the archipelago of Indonesia, starting with a rural village in the Lembe Straits of Sulawesi and moving up to the national stage where the World Economic Forum is advising the Indonesian government on how to achieve their lofty goal of a 70% reduction in the nation's marine plastic debris within the next five years. Season nine, Asia's Plastic First Smile, is hosted by me, Marcy Trent Long. Wu Yu Fei is our associate producer. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. Alexander Mobison created the intro outro music, made from repurposed and recovered waste items. You can find his work at kalelover.net. A big thank you to our Sustainable Asia team, Josie Chan, Crystal Wu, Bonnie Au, Ariane Derossier, Joshua Lee, and Jill Baxter. Special thanks to the Journalism and Media Studies Center at the University of Hong Kong, where Sustainable Asia is recorded.